But if we could, uh, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read. Uh, The Gospel according to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're reading at verse 10. The angels said to them, that is, the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. What is the gospel according to Christmas carols? What is the gospel according to Christmas carols? That's the question we've been asking over this Christmas season, because as we've said before, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason we should rejoice and be glad this Christmas. And that's what our short series has been on. It's been on the gospel of according to Christmas carols. And it's sought to remind us and reaffirm to us that Christmas carols are not an obstacle to the gospel, but they are an opportunity for us to share the gospel. And I mentioned to you before a quote from an article. The article was called The Gospel According to Christmas Carols. And it says that Christmas carols provide us with a unique opportunity to share the gospel It's the perfect time to explain the meaning of these songs to those who don't know Christ and share the good news of the gospel with them. And we saw that. We've been looking at different Christmas carols over the past number of weeks. We saw it with Isaac Watts' evangelistic prayer where he said, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. We saw it with Wesley and Whitfield's evangelistic proclamation, where they said, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We saw it with John Francis Wade's evangelistic plea, where he said, O come, all ye faithful, come and adore him. We saw it with Joseph Moore's evangelistic presentation, which was silent night, holy night. And we saw it on Wednesday evening with John Mason Neal's evangelistic prophecy, where he says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And this morning, I'd like us to consider one more Christmas carol, uh, the Christmas carol you were given at the door, Once in Royal David's City. Once in Royal David's City. And as you can see, there are six verses. I'm not going to give you six headings. We're going to group verses one and two together, verses three and four, and verses five and six. We're going to put them into twos and look at them under three headings. Three headings, boys and girls. Carol, compassion, and crown. Carol, compassion, and crown. So first of all, carol. We read there in verses one and two of the carol. Once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle 
was a stall with the poor and mean and lowly lived on earth, our Saviour, holy. The word carol means to celebrate in song. Carol means to celebrate in song. And this well-known Christmas carol, it was, as you can see there at the bottom, was written in 1848 by Cecil Francis Alexander. Cecil Francis Alexander. She was the wife of a Northern, Northern Irish minister. Uh, he was called the Reverend William Alexander. And this Christmas carol that we have before us this morning, it was written in a book alongside a number of hymns called A Collection of Hymns for Little Children. A Collection of Hymns for Little Children. And Cecil Alexander, she wrote the book, A Collection of Hymns for Little Children. She wrote the book because as a parent, a Christian parent with boys and girls, she had four children, four children. And Cecil Alexander's burden was that she wanted to teach the next generation about the Bible and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She wanted to teach children about the importance of following Jesus Christ, putting Jesus first in your life. But you know, her intention in writing that collection of little hymns for children it was that this collection of hymns would only ever be used in Sunday school or at home to teach children. She never intended for these words to be sung in a church. She never intended that they would be part of a carol service. But you know, what's interesting about the collection of hymns for little children is that they were, they were all based upon the Apostles' Creed. They were all based upon the Apostles' Creed. And Cecil Alexander wrote the book. She wrote um, this hymn based upon the Apostles' Creed. And, well, we're familiar with the teaching of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we did a study on the Apostles' Creed uh, towards the end of last year and the beginning of, of this year. And the Apostles' Creed, it's one of those Christian creeds which has been read and recited and reaffirmed by Christians uh, throughout the world for centuries. And as you know, the Apostles' Creed, it's a, it's a summary statement of faith. It's a belief statement. It's a belief statement that asserts and affirms the teaching of Jesus Christ and the, ter- the church of Jesus Christ. More than that, it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith that we're called to believe and confess with our mouth. That's why it's called a creed. You'll see the Apostles' Creed. It's on the other side of your sheet. The word creed, it comes from the Latin credo, meaning I believe. And the Apostles' Creed is to be believed in our heart and also confessed with our mouth. And if you remember, that's what we did each, each Sunday as we studied the Apostles' Creed. We believed and we confessed the words of the Apostles' Creed, either silently or spoken. And you have the words in front of you. I'm not going to ask you to say it, but I just want to read the Apostles' Creed again. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
Now, of course, you're not saved by simply reading or reciting or reaffirming the Apostles' Creed. You're you're saved, as we were saying to the children, by believing and receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But Cecil Alexander, she based her collection of hymns, she based all her teaching upon the Apostles' Creed. Because besides writing this Christmas carol, Once in Royal David City, she also wrote the well-known children's hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful. You've probably heard it before. The opening line is, All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. And they're the words that are based upon the opening line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Another hymn which Cecil wrote was part of her collection of hymns for little children. It was, There is a Green Hill Far Away. Another hymn you might have heard before, a children's hymn, where it says, There is a green hill far away, without a city wall, where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. And these words from that hymn, they were based upon the words in the Apostles' Creed where it says that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried. Which means that once in Royal David's city, this Christmas carol that we're looking at this morning, it was based upon the statement in the Apostles' Creed about the birth of Jesus, where it says there, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. And you know, what's fascinating, what I find fascinating is that this mother in Israel, Cecil Alexander, this woman, she took the time to write her collection of hymns for little children. And she took the time to put it together based upon the teaching of the Apostles' Creed. And she did it all out of a desire and a determination to teach and tell the next generation about Jesus Christ. She wanted children and her children's children to know all about Jesus. And you know, as parents and as grandparents here this morning, as teachers in the school, as adults, as a congregation, you know, we should have that same desire. We should have that same determination. That should be our prayer and that should be our passion that we want to teach and tell the next generation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't, who else will? If we don't teach them, the world will teach them something else. The world will teach them to live according to their will and their way, and their wants. The world will have them. The world will hold them. The world will keep them, which is why we must teach the next generation about this glorious gospel message, this message about Jesus Christ. And, you know, that was Cecil Alexander's desire and determination in writing this Christmas carol. She wanted the next generation of children. She wanted her own children Her four young children, she wanted them to be taught about the Savior. She wanted her grandchildren and maybe even her great-grandchildren to be taught all about this Savior. And you know what's amazing is that we were singing about that. We were singing about the desire 
and the determination to tell the next generation. We're singing about it in Psalm 48. We were singing where the psalmist said at the end of the psalm, he says, tell it to the generation following that this God is our God and that he will be our guide even unto death. Tell it to the generation following. And you, know, you find that throughout Scripture, this emphasis on teaching and telling the next generation. It was the same with the Jews in the Shema. They were to teach and tell their children and their children's children all about the Lord and to love the Lord. Tell it to the generation following that this God is our God and he will be our guide even unto death. My friend, this carol reminds us and reaffirms to us that we must teach the next generation. We must teach them to celebrate the Savior. But more than that, we need to teach the next generation about the compassion of the Savior. Compassion, the compassion of the Savior. That's what we see secondly. So carol and compassion. Compassion. Look at verses 3 and 4 of this Christmas carol. It says, And through all his wondrous childhood, he would honor and obey, love and watch the lowly maiden in whose gentle arms he lay. Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. For he is our childhood's pattern. Day by day like us he grew. He was little, weak and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness. And he shareth in our gladness. You know, when it comes to celebrating Christmas, almost every adult will say, and they'll admit that it's all about the children. It's all about the children, whether it's the Christmas tree or the decorations or the chocolates or the lights or the presents and the food. Whatever it is, it's all about the children, although the adults enjoy it too. It's mainly all about the children. And you know, in many ways, it's good that Christmas is all about the children. Because as we said, Cecil Alexander, she wanted Christ Christmas to be all about the children. It was all about teaching children the truth about Christmas. It was all about teaching children the truth about Christmas, that the real reason for the season is not Santa, but the Savior. It's all about the Savior. It's all about Jesus Christ showing compassion towards sinners such as we are. And you know, I love that word, compassion. Boys and girls, that's our second heading, compassion. The word compassion, it depicts and describes the overflowing love of Jesus towards us. The overflowing love of Jesus towards us. I'm sure I've mentioned to you before that I always think about it when I see the word compassion. Um, I had a great auntie who lived next door to my parents in Melbust, and, and there was one night she was unwell, and uh, she asked me to come over and have worship with her. And so I did. And when I sat down with her, she handed me her Bible, a Bible that she'd had for many years, and I started flicking through it to find a suitable passage to read. But as I flicked through the pages, I noticed that she had she'd used a highlighter pen in her Bible, and she'd highlighted a phrase that often appears in the Gospels, the phrase, Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. And, you know, my great auntie, she noticed that I had stopped to read what she had highlighted, wondering 
what it was. And she said to me, Mardo, don't you just love that phrase? Jesus moved with compassion. He moved with compassion. She said, it's such a beautiful way to describe our Savior, that he moves with compassion. And you know, it really is a beautiful way to describe Jesus, because when Jesus saw the crowds and all the multitudes that followed him, he looked on them with compassion. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Even when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he told all the crowds that the Good Samaritan moved towards this man who needed help. He moved towards him with compassion. And in the parable of the prodigal son, a well-known parable to all of us, I'm sure, Jesus said that the father, the father who had lost his son, he moved with compassion towards his wayward and prodigal son. He moved with compassion. It's a beautiful phrase that tells us and teaches us the truth about Christmas, the truth about this Savior who moves with compassion towards sinners how Jesus moves with compassion towards sinners. Because, you know, the wonder of wonders, the wonder of wonders is that Jesus moved with compassion from the crown of glory down to the cradle in Bethlehem, as we were saying to the children, all the way down to the cross of Calvary. And every step of the way was a move of compassion from the crown to the cradle to the cross. It was all in compassion, compassion towards lost sinners like you and I. But you know, the wonder of this Christmas carol is that Cecil Alexander, she wrote these middle verses, verses 3 and 4, not only to highlight that Jesus moves with compassion towards sinners, but also that as Christians, as followers of Christ, as those who live like Jesus or seek to live like Jesus and love like Jesus— we ought to show compassion towards others. And that's what Cecil sought to emphasize and explain in, in verses 3 and 4, that as we consider the compassion of Jesus, as we consider the fact that he, he humbled himself from the crown to the cradle to the cross, we have to show the compassion of Jesus too. We ought to teach our children and show compassion like Jesus just as it says there in verse 3, and through all his wondrous childhood, he would honor and obey, love and watch the lowly maiden in whose gentle arms he lay. Christian children all must be mild, obedient, good as he. For he's our childhood's pattern. Day by day like us he grew. He was little, weak and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. And he feedeth, for, feeleth for our sadness and he shareth in our gladness. And you know, I love that fourth verse because we're reminded that Jesus not only moves with compassion towards us, he also knows and understands all that we're going through. He knows and understands all that we're going through. You know, there are things that go on behind closed doors that nobody else will know about, and yet he knows and this Christmas, we might be encountering or experiencing sin or sickness or suffering or stress or sorrow or the loneliness of separation. And yet Jesus knows. Jesus knows and understands 
all that we're going through. Because as the Bible reminds us, he came into this world to bear our griefs and to carry our sorrows. The Bible assures us he's our great high priest who is able to sympathize with all our weaknesses. Therefore, we're told to come boldly. We're told to come, but we're told to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He's our childhood's pattern. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. But you know, the amazing thing about this woman who wrote this carol about Cecil Alexander is that she practiced what she preached. Or you could say she lived out her lyrics. Cecil was known as someone who imitated and emulated the compassion of Jesus Christ. She was involved in charity work almost her whole life. And, you know, with many of the churches buying her book, uh, the collection of little hymns for children, or of hymns for little children, all these churches that bought her book, all the proceeds of buying the book, they went to support different charities. She gave the money away. It supported those who were deaf and those who were disabled. It helped women who had been abused and assaulted. And Cecil even worked to develop a district nurse's service within her community in Northern Ireland. Cecil Alexander, she was a remarkable woman who was described by others as this unrelenting visitor to the poor and to the sick. She practiced what she preached. She lived out her lyrics. She loved Jesus, and she lived for Jesus. She moved with the compassion of Jesus. And you know, it should remind us that as Christians, that's what we should be like. We should practice what we preach. We should live out the lyrics of, the, of Scripture in our lives. We should live for Jesus and love like Jesus. We should move with the compassion of Jesus towards one another. And so as we consider this Christmas carol, we have three headings. Carol, compassion, and crown. Crown is the last heading. Crown. Look at verses 5 and 6 of the carol. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he is gone. Not in that poor and lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, where like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. As you can see from the title and even the opening line of this Christmas carol, Cecil Alexander, she pinpointed on the map the location of the cradle of Jesus. She says it was once in royal David's city. Once in royal David's city. But you know, what's remarkable is that the saviour of this world, he wasn't born into the fortified palace in Jerusalem, but he was born into a filthy pen in Bethlehem. Is that not what the angel said there in verse 11? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. But, you know, the thing is, many of the Israelites, they knew that the Messiah would be born 
in royal David's city. But in their mind, Jerusalem was royal David's city, not Bethlehem. Jerusalem was royal David's city because Jerusalem was the city in which King David established the monarchy over the nation of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. Jerusalem was where David brought the Ark of the Covenant. Jerusalem was where the tabernacle finally rested. Jerusalem was where the temple was built by David's son, Solomon. Jerusalem was where the glory cloud rested. Jerusalem was where David's palace was situated. Jerusalem was where all the the regal and all the religious life of the nation centered around. It all happened at Jerusalem, upon the holy mountain of Mount Zion. We were singing about it in Psalm 122. Everyone went to Jerusalem with joy. We sang about it in Psalm 48, that Jerusalem stood as the city of the great king. But that's not where the Savior of the world was to be born. Because as you know, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he is the God of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign, supreme, supreme and superior ruler of all creation. He wasn't born in the fortified palace of Jerusalem. No, he was born into this world, as we read in that passage in Luke's gospel. He was born as a defenseless, dependent baby in a filthy pen in Bethlehem. And it was there he was laid in a manger, Now, when Luke tells us, as we saw last Lord's Day, when Luke tells us that he was laid in a manger, it wasn't a top-of-the-range crib from mamas and papas. It was a feeding trough. That's how low he went. My friend, Royal David's city wasn't this large and luxurious city of Jerusalem. No, Royal David's city was the tiny town of Bethlehem. The tiny town of Bethlehem. But it was Royal David's city because that's where King David was born. And that's where the descendant of King David was to be born. That's where the Savior of the world was to be born. And, you know, I don't think we appreciate how tiny the town of Bethlehem really was. Bethlehem was a tiny town in the back of beyond. Nobody really knew about it. Nobody really spoke about it. That's why in 1868, the American pastor, Philip Brooks, he wrote his Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, because Bethlehem was this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. In fact, Bethlehem was such a tiny town that whenever Bethlehem was spoken of by any of the Israelites, you not only had to name the place Bethlehem, but you also had to name the larger region to which it belonged so that people would actually know it exists. And so if you were speaking about Bethlehem, you would call it Bethlehem Ephratha. Bethlehem Ephratha. Ephratha was the larger region in Judea to which this tiny town belonged. And you know what I love about the Bible is that this is what was prophesied by the prophet Micah 800 years before Jesus was born. Micah wrote, Micah 5 verse 2, but you O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. 
My friend, although Bethlehem was an irrelevant and insignificant tiny town in Israel, what the Bible reminds us time and time again is that God often chooses what is irrelevant and insignificant to display his power and purposes and reveal his glory and his grace. God often chooses what is irrelevant and insignificant to display his power and his purposes and reveal his glory and his grace. That's what Paul said about the church of Jesus Christ. He said, God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the strong. God has chosen us as fallen sinners, those who are irrelevant and insignificant, and yet he's chosen us to display his power and his purposes. He's chosen us to reveal his grace and his glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's chosen us as insignificant and irrelevant people, all for his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. And that's what we see here with Jesus being born in the tiny town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, it means house of bread. It's called the house of bread because Jesus is the bread of heaven. He came down from heaven to give life to the world. Jesus declared that he is the bread of life. You know, my friend, we have a great king. We serve the king of kings. We serve a great king. But as Cecil Alexander concluded her Christmas carol, she wanted to remind everyone who read it, whether a child or an adult, she wanted to remind us all that he's a king. He's a king who is no longer in a cradle in Bethlehem, but he's now a king who is crowned in glory. And that's where we need to look this Christmas day. We need to look beyond the cradle we need to look beyond the cross. We need to look to the crown in glory. That's where he's seated today, at the Father's right hand. We need to look beyond the cradle and the crown, but, and beyond the cross, but look to the crown in glory. Because, you know, the reality is, Christmas Day isn't the end of the story. We all know that. Jesus is coming again. And, you know, this is the thing I find fascinating about the run-up to Christmas Day. I'm sure you've maybe asked it, heard it, said it, but you hear people asking one another, are you all set? Are you all ready? Are you prepared? Uh, maybe you've said it yourself. You can't go into Tesco without hearing people saying, are you, are you all set? Are you prepared? Are you ready? But, you know, the question shouldn't be, are you ready for Christ's first advent, his first coming at Christmas? The question this carol leaves us with is, are you ready for his second advent? Are you ready for his second coming when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels to judge the world? Because as Cecil Alexander concluded, she said, at the second advent of Jesus... We will see him, and we will see him, verse 6, not in that poor and lowly stable with the oxen standing by. We shall see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high. My friend, on this Christmas morning, 
we celebrate the first advent of Christ. But the gospel, according to Christmas carols, reminds us all we need to be ready for the second advent. We need to be ready when Christ comes again. We need to be ready for, as Jesus said so clearly and so compassionately, therefore be ye also ready for at an hour when you think not the Son of Man will come. The Son of Man will come. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us and let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for the wonder of the gospel that God became man and dwelt among us that we might behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We thank thee that Christ came at all, that we weren't left in our sin, but that he came to be our Saviour. But Lord, help us, we pray, on this first Advent as we remember it. Help us, Lord, to realise that Jesus is coming again, that he is coming the second time, And as the Apostle John prayed, Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Or that thou wouldest hear our prayers, we ask. Because, Lord, as we have often prayed in this place, that thy will be done, that thy kingdom would come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, do us good, and we pray, go before us. Cleanse us, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to bring our service to a conclusion this morning. We'll sing the words of Psalm 98. Psalm 98, page 360 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 98. We're going to sing from the beginning down to the verse marked 4. Before we sing, I'm going to ask the questions. Are you all awake? See, question one. Cecil Alexander, she wrote the Christmas Carol once in Royal David City, but how many children did she have? Four. Well done. Why did she write her carols and her hymns? Who did she write them for? The next generation. Well, great answer. Next generation. So children and children's children. She wanted people to know Jesus. And so what are today's headings? There was three. Carol, compassion, and crown. Well done. Very good at listening. Well done. So we're going to sing Psalm 98 in conclusion. As we mentioned before, Psalms 96, 97, and 98, they are all Christmas psalms. They're all psalms that point us, point us forward to the coming of the King, this coming Saviour. That's why we're encouraged to sing a new song. O sing a new song to the Lord, for wonders he hath done. His right hand and his holy arm, him victory hath won. The Lord God his salvation hath caused to be known. His justice in the heathen's sight he openly hath shown. He mindful of his grace and truth to Israel's house hath been, and the salvation of our God all ends of the earth 
have seen. So we'll sing Psalm 98 from the beginning down to the verse marked 4, and we'll stand to sing, if you're able, to God's praise. <laughs> oh, sing a new song to Amen.